Hello and welcome to Go Wonk Yourself. I'm Eddie Michelson. I'm Lucas Anderton. Wow. Can you believe it is already episode three? Episode three. The greatest prequel. <laughs> and hopefully there will be a lot more episodes after this. So, <laughs> so Eddie, how has your week been? Uh, it's been it's been a week, that's for sure. It has been but a week. But more importantly, it's been quite a week in the world of politics, which is what we're here to talk about today. It has. So let's get right into it. We're going to leave the biggest thing for last, the State of the Union. Oh, but let's start with a few other things. So this past week... Um, a guy named Steve Wynn, I think it was. He was the RNC finance chair. Um, I believe he's a big casino guy, and he was one of the big faces of the Republican Party. And he, there were sexual allegations brought against him, and very quickly the Republican Party acted, and he either resigned forcefully or was fired. And then it brought up uh, right after that that Hillary Clinton uh, had a staffer who she had found out that there were sexual allegations brought against them, uh, the allegations were corroborated, and Hillary Clinton chose not to fire the staffer. You mean to tell me that Hillary Clinton covered up for a sexual harasser? You mean, to, that is such a shocker. I, I do mean it's, to It's not a shocker that. at all, alright? Like, this is, um, this is not surprising. I, I think Hillary Clinton has been known to cover up for her political allies, whatever, uh, they happen to be doing, uh, but it doesn't make it any less shameful. Uh, what do you think? No, in all honesty, like, I totally agree. Like, who was, who's that one right-hand woman? Uh, I totally can't think of her name. She's married or dating the Wiener guy, Anthony Wiener. Oh, right. What was her name? Um, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on this. But anyway, so, like, um, she... She had issues, Anthony Weiner had issues, and, like, Hillary Clinton has always stood by these people. Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clinton. Um, honestly, my opinion, but I think Hillary Clinton's political career could have been so much more if she had left Bill Clinton. Oh, I agree, completely. It made her look like she was more of a pragmatist rather than uh, someone with feelings. <laughs> well, it made her look, like, kind of power-hungry to me. Like, obviously, she probably hated her husband's guts right after that. Um, and I think the girl's name was Huma Abedin. Oh, you're right. Yep, yeah, that's correct. Um, and like, to me, she could have been this like feminist icon had she left her cheating sleazy husband, one of the greatest presidents of all time, but as a person, he's a <laughs> cheater and he's sleazy and she stayed with him. And then she was like, I'm a feminist. Um, and it's just odd to me, but like, so in this case, um, she obviously took a, ho a lot of heat for it, and right before the State of the Union, she released a 1,500-word Facebook post um, where she addressed the New York Times report on the handling of her, the sexual harassment against her 2008 campaign faith advisor, Bernd Strider. Um, and part of it, she said, I very much understand the question I'm being asked as to why I let an employee on my 2008 campaign keep his job despite his inappropriate workplace behavior. The short answer is this. If I had to do it again, I wouldn't. Do you think she would? Hillary 2020, everyone. Stop, um, that's not funny. Uh, <laughs> well, look, I'm Hillary still with Clinton her. is, this is a, this is just, we're, we're beating a dead horse at this, at this point. No one likes her. Her <laughs> approval ratings are in the shitter. She's not, she's not coming back for anything serious in politics. I'm sure even you would agree with that. I think most Democrats at this point are just saying, look, Hillary, just shut up at this point. I mean, we, we don't want to hear any more about this. Uh, you lost to 
uh, arguably the worst political candidate of all time, making you the worst political candidate stop. of all time. Uh, and I, I just think, like, just stop. I, I, I don't think people want to hear... And when we talk about um, the Grammys and her coming out and reading Fire and Fury, and it's just... It's all cringe-inducing, and I just... It's just laughable at this point. I think Hillary Clinton will never stop uh, talking and trying to inject herself in every political issue, but I, I don't think it's going to have any lasting impact. And, like, more so, and, like, there's obviously a lot of sentiment similar to yours of, like, Hillary Clinton, shut up, like, your time has passed. But, like, more than that, I want people to stop talking about her. Like, I don't want to hear a story about Hillary Clinton. If we want Hillary Clinton to go run off in the woods and never come back... Let's stop talking about her. Well, I think that's the chicken and the egg sort of thing yeah. because we're talking about her because she keeps talking. So it it's kind of it's kind of bouncing off of itself. So we got Democrats saying, "Well, why do you keep talking about Hillary Clinton? She lost. It's over." And meanwhile, she's out there still trying campaigning. To, she's still out there campaigning. Like uh, 2016 never ended for her. Um, it, it's I don't know. What, Let's just stop talking about her. How about that? Let's yeah. <laughs> and, like, okay, in our very first episode, we talked about how, like, Jill Stein, it's time to stop running. <laughs> um, Jill Stein is still the face of the Green Party. She gave the least watched rebuttal of the State of the Union in, like, the history of <laughs> State of the Union rebuttals. And I'm pretty sure she even did it with her 2016 running mate. And, like, just like how Jill Stein needs to stop talking because she's an anti-vaxxer and part of the Green Party and made Trump win, arguably. She was part of the reason. Um, like, Hillary Clinton, I, I, I'm one of her biggest fans, obviously, but that doesn't mean I want her on the political stage anymore. I just want her on the historical stage, almost. Like, I want her to remain a part of history. I don't want her to oh, be a part of the present. she will certainly be a part of history. As the, the worst, worst candidate <laughs> of all time, folks. <laughs> and, like, I mean, you have a point. Like, yeah, her, I loved her as, like, a person and her personality, and I loved, like, her charisma. But at the same time, like, if I'm going to call Trump a horrible dude and a horrible candidate, by that logic, Hillary Clinton's worse. O'Malley would have won. That's O'Malley. What, that's, that's Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden would have won. You think? Yeah, except the same tape of Trump grabbing someone by the P word, Joe Biden would have had the same issue. <laughs> um, and, like, I don't know. And Joe Biden, he's still sticking around. I, I, I don't know if people are asking for that, but he's still sticking around. Um, well, a lot of those old-time Democratic leaders are sticking around. And I think uh, what the Democratic Party is really... Um, what they're really asking for right now is... Where are the young faces in the Democratic yeah. Party? I mean, I, I could say the same thing about like Mitch McConnell. Like, please, Mitch. He's been stop. in. He's been in what forty five years, forty years, something. <gasps> Too crazy long. Like that. Too long. And I I want to see some young faces in the Republican Party, and I think there are some promising people, uh, such as well, we look at Marco Rubio as like one of the young, uh, sort of establishment figures in the Republican. Isn't Party. Isn't Ben Sass young? But yeah, we have Ben Sass. We I mean we have some we have some really good young. Um, up-and-coming leaders in the Republican Party, and I think that uh, if Democrats want to uh, survive in the long run and uh, win future elections, they need to be out there searching for young, uh, up-and-coming political leaders. And, like, it makes me wonder why were all these, like, super progressive, like, young people flocking around an 80-year-old candidate who has no hair left? Like... <laughs> How did this guy motivate all these young people? 
I want young candidates. That's why I will talk later about it, but, like, Kennedy, like, he's young, he's vibrant. I want young leaders. Like, the Democratic Party needs the both parties. They need young people involved. And so, like, I... The term that I keep hearing is septuagenarian or something, some giant word like that. It's 70-plus-year-olds. Like, they should not be the faces of either of our parties. Um, they can be the face of the Libertarian Party all they want. But, like, that's because <laughs> the only people in the Libertarian Party are 70-year-old men who just want to feed off of Social Security and then talk about how much I they hate Gary Social Johnson Security. I think Gary Johnson would like to have a word with you. He's going to talk to me with his tongue out. La, 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 la. <laughs> What's Aleppo? <laughs> But anyway, so um, another story that just came out is that Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan are forming private health insurance companies for their employees. So Warren Buffett with Berkshire Hathaway, Jeff Bezos with Amazon, and uh, Jamie Dimon with J.P. Morgan Chase are teaming up to transform the American uh, healthcare system, according to AP's Marley J. So they're forming a new independent company to address healthcare costs for just their employees. Um, everyone seems to be leaving that out of the headline well, that wait, it's just wait for a their second. employees. Wait a second. I thought corporations were evil and just wanted to make money, and there's nothing good about the private sector, and that the government needs to step in for everything. So, okay, so Eddie and I are in this class right now called Corporate Social Responsibility, and what that... Uh, class is about is businesses doing good in the world and what are their motivations behind it i think this is a perfect example of corporate social responsibility they are going to paint this like oh we are trying to fix healthcare for our employees and set an example for the world but at the end of the day this is going to save these companies millions and millions of dollars by keeping it in-house and like so as much as they can try and paint it as since the government's not fixing healthcare, we will they don't care about that. Like, they're making money off of but this. But the, the and... question here is, does it matter? I think if if everyone's benefiting from it, I don't really care about these corporations' True. motivations behind it. If it's making healthcare costs go down for working Americans, like, I think, go for it. I think it's a good thing. Um, and maybe this is yeah. setting the precedent. Maybe this is, maybe, like, instead of, like, the government absolving healthcare companies, maybe we just need new healthcare like a new healthcare industry done totally different. We've been doing healthcare the same way since healthcare first came around. This could be a new take on it that might be really good for healthcare. I would love for us not to have to resort to Medicare for all or single payer. Like I would prefer to have it be a private sector industry, but not the way it operates right now. So like, I think this is cool. Yeah. We'll have to see how it turns out. Um, that'll certainly be an interesting to keep watching for and seeing how it affects people's healthcare costs and also what the uh, cost is for the company and if they decide if it's worth it for them. And how do the other healthcare companies react? Um, are they going to try and lower their prices to be competitive? Because that would be the perfect scenario. Um, healthcare costs are shooting up. And so to see Amazon, I mean, Amazon has thousands of employees. Berkshire Hathaway has thousands of employees. If more companies jump on, so imagine if Walmart did this. Imagine how much that would hurt a company like Optima or any other healthcare company. And so, like, this might be the pressure they need. So, I really don't know. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. So We will certainly see. So, it's been a year. A year of Trump. Guys, we're alive. I just want to remind everyone listening right now that um, Trump is your president. (laughs) Trump is our president. Hashtag not my president. And Not like my president. every day, uh, I know it's it's hard to believe uh, that we have Donald Trump as our president. And not only is he our president, he has been our president now for a year. A so year. 
let's let's just take a, a a few minutes to reflect on how this year has gone. Uh, obviously, when we uh, started off uh, with the election and how he won shockingly, and everyone sort of lost their lost their shit about it. Uh, I, I want to know how this year has been from your perspective. What were your expectations, and how have those been? How how have your uh, expectations carried out throughout the year? in terms of uh, how the reality has been. So, I'm not a cynic. Like, when he was elected, I was really upset. But that doesn't mean I didn't wish him well. If, like, if we have a shitty president, we all suffer. And so, like, going into it, I had really low expectations, and I was really hoping he would surround himself with the right people and be a really good president. And for me, he totally failed on that. But I will acknowledge for his base... He has been the greatest president they could ever ask for. Um, he came in and after a week in office implemented the Muslim ban. And I was like, okay, this is more of the president that I figured he'd be. Um, and he just continued from there. I mean, half the stuff we don't even hear about. It's the dismantling of the bureaucracy, which a lot of people, I mean, you're sitting there like, yes, <laughs> this is the greatest thing. But like, I mean, I read today about these 60 environmental regulations that he undid, and I stay pretty connected to the news, and I didn't hear about any of those regulations being undone. Um, and so, like, like he has fulfilled my expectations of him, and my expectations were this guy is going to be horrible. Um, what's your take on it? Well, when he was first elected, I was mostly... Uh, my, my first initial gut reaction was, I am so glad that Hillary Clinton is not president. <laughs> that was the... That was the that was that one day after the election where I was able to say, like, oh, I'm happy about this because Hillary Clinton's not president. Um, obviously, the trade-off there is that Donald Trump is our president. And uh, obviously, that was a big problem for people in the 2016 election, like the lesser of two evils. Who really is the lesser of those two evils? And there's a lot of disagreement about that. Um, in terms of policy, I'm, I've actually been very uh, pleased with how this year has gone. Uh, I think in general, like... Politics is a a game a, of disappointment, and a lot of times That's we have true. these we have these ideals that we set, and we want someone to just come in and just sledgehammer, tear it all down, and rebuild it, and create this perfect America in our own partisan, uh, in yeah, you know, through the through the lens of our own partisan partisan uh, persuasion. But yeah, I, I have no problem with uh, how he's done. Uh, Policy-wise, I think, uh, you know, his nomination of Gorsuch, I know I, we all talk about that all the time as like, wow, like, this is the greatest thing yeah. ever. Uh, yeah, it's a good thing. I think that... I'm sure you're a huge fan of Gorsuch. Yeah, I, I am. I think that was a great pick. And it was, it was. I think a lot of people still talk about it to this day because it was actually kind of surprising that he would pick Gorsuch over some of the other people he was considering. He's a moderate constitutionalist. I mean, yeah. Um, I think uh, he, he got the tax cut through. I think the biggest disappointment from this year has been health care. I think that needs to get settled soon. Yeah. And I, I think if Republicans just decide that's a losing issue, I think we're going to have a huge problem in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I think a, a lot of this year has been spent with uh, obviously negative press as like that's to be expected at this point. It's always been an expectation that no matter what happens policy wise, the press is going to uh, attack him. But I think he can alleviate that if he just, if he just shut up, or if he stopped tweeting so much. Yeah. I think uh, rhetorically he's had a pretty uh, turbulent year, to say the least. I think he's said uh, his 
I'm not sure what to say. He just needs to stop talking so much and just get the policy through. And I think if he, like you said, surrounds himself with people who are... Uh, who not have, Steve Miller. Right. <laughs> Steve Miller, Steve Bannon. Uh, well... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there's people who are in his administration who I who I respect and I think have uh, a pretty good grasp on policy, and I, I think are very smart people. But I think right now his biggest Achilles heel is his um, his, his rhetoric. Mouth. Yeah. So. And that's actually like okay. I do want to talk about the actual speech itself a little because like I am a passionate flaming progressive, and judging it as a State of the Union speech. It was a State of the Union speech. I mean, he he sounded presidential. Um, that doesn't mean I agreed with literally anything in it, but, like, I got to look up there and actually be like, okay, that's President Trump. Um, it was the third longest State of the Union speech, um, and he, he actually, like, used the kind of rhetoric that, like, people are taught how to use instead of just, like, him running his mouth. Like, he used rhetorical devices that were powerful. Um, he played it to his base, but also, like, tried sounding like he had, like, some broad appeal. Um, there's one little blurb from Axios, there's not another American politician who in one night could call for creating paid family leave, keeping Gitmo open, making the nuclear arsenal stronger, making prescription drugs less expensive, cracking down on drug dealers, and helping convicted felons get a second chance, all in one speech. Well, I... I think it's interesting that initially you said you don't you didn't agree with anything he said. Surely there was some stuff in there that I guess that you that would stuff, that you yeah. would be happy to see. Uh, and I think that this is a problem uh, not with you specifically, but that <laughs> the the the, Dem- the Democrats have had a uh, a huge problem reconciling with is that there are some things that Trump will do that they might actually like, and if they were able to just swallow their pride and say, "Hey, let's let's work on on this specific thing that we all have a common." uh agreement on i think a lot of this uh state of the union speech was heavily politicized as we expected and i think that um democrats can't just sit back and say well we can't we can't even touch this we can't say anything good about it just because it's trump yeah no i totally agree and like if we disagree with everything that comes out of his mouth then our disagreement and our dissent means nothing anymore. Like, you have to choose your battles. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're going to have a lot of things we disagree with, but we can't disagree with everything. Uh, One thing that I really wanted to mention that's been all over the news today is that Democrats and the uh, African-American Legislative Caucus didn't stand up when he said that uh, African-American unemployment was at the lowest it's ever been which in is history. great news it is great news by any we- by any like, metric whether or not i want to credit it to trump that's besides the fact he said like he didn't say oh i got the lowest african-american mm-hmm. unemployment he simply said right now it is the lowest african-american unemployment in history like stand up for that i mean republicans stood up for certain things that obama said like if if you agree with it agree with it um I did love seeing, I don't know if you saw this at all, like, the the gifts of, like, Nancy Pelosi's face, (laughs) and, like, Tim Kaine sitting back in his chair, slow clapping with, like, the biggest grin on his face, like, like, who is this guy? And, like, I really didn't hate it. I didn't hate every second of it, and you're right, like, looking at some of the things that he actually said he wanted to accomplish, like, 
if we can hold him to paid family leave, then I will personally stand up and say, like, I'm proud of my president for once. Um, paid family leave is something that the Bush administration wanted to do and didn't get to. It's something the Obama administration wanted to do and didn't get to. So, like, if he can accomplish it, then I will slow clap him all day long. <laughs> Um, but it's a matter of him actually, like, keeping those promises. All right, well, you heard it here first. Let's see if it'll actually come through. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's see. But, um, and then, like, I do want to get back to Trump, but something I really wanted to point out is that the Democrats chose, uh, Joe Kennedy third, the congressman from Massachusetts and Ken of John F. Kennedy and Ted Kennedy, uh, to give the rebuttal. Um, I honestly figured it'd be one of their, like, big presidential contenders, like Kirsten Gillibrand or Kamala Harris. So I was, like, kind of thrown off when they said it was Kennedy. Um, it was beautifully staged. Like, they put him in a factory or, like, a vocational school that had cars in the background. And, like, they didn't... I think the key word there that you mentioned, though, is staged. Yeah, right? no, totally staged. Um, like, he wasn't wearing a jacket. Like, it was, like just his buttoned-up shirt rolled up, and, like, it was very, like, I'm I'm of the people. Um, but th- then you remind yourself who this guy is. Uh, he's <laughs> right. a millionaire who never has to deal with any of the consequences of any of his votes. Like, I mean, what do you take of, like, a, a Kennedy being prominent in politics again? I mean, I think that just, th- this is further evidence. I mean, what no matter how good the speech is, I think it shows how out of touch... Like Democrats are reacting to this. I mean, you're you're bringing out this guy who's. I mean, it's just nepotism, really. I mean, I mean, he could be like the best politician in the world, but like, I mean, you're still he's still <laughs> where he is, probably right. because of his last name. Right. So I think the Democrats, like, if they want to relate to the the common man, or you know, just Kennedy the, might the, not be your guy. <laughs> that might not be your guy. I think, uh, yeah, l- let's get someone who, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, got to where they are because of their Their own their own merits and maybe it's just a young new face who's ready to get in there and maybe even reach across partisan lines i don't i don't know how the that's a that's it's an interesting thought about how the tone is going to change going into the next election will be a more extreme version of the previous election or is it going to be a a uh a competition to see who can who can reach across who can the really more. who can really calm things down and say, hey, look, I'm re- I'm willing to work with both sides because I know everyone's tired of this hyper partisanship, which is an absolute cancer to our republic. So yeah. well, let's see how it goes. But I I don't know. This is just I think they're just missing the mark again. No, and that's totally true. Like I like it'll be so hard because if someone if Kamala Harris stands up and she's like, I want to calm things down in Washington. I want to reach across the aisle. Um, she already reached across the aisle. She's working on bail reform with Rand Paul. I don't know who can tolerate to work with that man, but she is somehow doing it. And like, so like, I think America would like it more if we had a campaign where like, you're trying to out middle each other and like try and be the more like moderate candidate. Uh, You'll be torn apart by leftist and right wing media. Um, but, like, it's almost like if you can ignore that, then you're going to win. Do you um, think that, though? Because I think the left-wing media and the right-wing media and the base, like, Trump's base, uh, I think no matter what you do right now within your party, if you do something that's moderate or reaching across the aisle, half of your party is going to tear you apart yeah. for that. And that's going to affect your base. So it's really a divide about what's 
What's more pragmatic to do at this point? Is it really pragmatic to say like, I'm going to work with the other side and then risk losing your base? That's or is true. it more pragmatic to say, I'm just gonna stick with my base and I'm gonna say, no matter what these people do, I'm not gonna agree with them and then hope to get the moderates with you on that. I mean, what's the more pragmatic decision? It I don't, I don't have an answer to that, and like, so I've already seen, I'm in all these progressive groups online, and Kennedy is already like, when people are like, oh, Kennedy 2020, he's being torn apart by progressives online right now, because he, he is just like the rest of the Kennedys, he is very pragmatic, very middle of the line, and like, honestly, he's like a progressive conservative, and like, so of course he's being torn apart online, but like, that might be what America needs, but like, you're always gonna piss off half your party if you do that. And it happens on both sides. If if Trump talks about pay or talks about a deal with the Dreamers, yeah, the middle of the line Democrats and Republicans are gonna be like fantastic. The super left wing people are gonna be like, we don't want your help. And then the far right wing people, his base, are gonna be like, why are you even talking to Chuck Schumer? And it's like a horrible way to do things. And I've really noticed it with media outlets is they are the extreme sides of the party. They're isn't really credible left-wing media and there isn't credible right-wing media like if you want real right-wing media you have to go to like drudge and that's depressing like why is there not any mainstream right-wing media that isn't freaking insane um where do you read your news like in all honesty well i like uh i, I mean a, a lot i like the media that's coming from the right that is honest about its uh about its biases like i i really like national review i read that a lot yeah i think the daily wire puts out some great stuff and these are uh these are just uh, i mean the weekly standard has some, uh some good stuff I, I there are a lot of publications and media that comes from the right that they're like upfront like the they're, they're like they basically tell you like we are uh a conservative media outlet so read it accordingly like uh, you know we're, we're going to be honest about our biases, but we're also going to um, tell our opinions about stuff. I think, really, I don't think the problem uh, inherently is the bias itself. It's the honesty about the bias. So when you have CNN saying we're fair and balanced or like we're like, you know, the middle of the line media, that's not true and everyone knows it. They have a very left-leaning bias as does MSNBC, which, I mean, they're a bit more honest about it. Yeah. Fox News, uh, you have Hannity saying, this is an opinion show, and whatever you think about Sean Hannity is one thing, but... But uh, I can't say anything bad about Sean Hannity without being like, well, Rachel Maddow is, like, just as far left-wing right. as he is right-wing. Right, so I think I, I think when, uh, when we're talking about media, the honesty about what they're talking about and how they're approaching these issues is more important than the actual content of what they're saying. And we also have to have an electorate that can take in both outlets and pick out the facts from it. Um, you yeah. can't take Rachel Maddow for everything she says. She has an agenda, just like Hannity does, just like Tucker Carlson does. But, like, if you can listen to those shows or read whatever news outlet you want and say, well, both of them agree to this, so this must be fact, then, like, that's what we have to do. I don't think that we're ever going to find some, like, perfect middle-of-the-line media. Oh, absolutely not. Because Everyone where has does their funding stream ever, is it, like, where is it going to come yeah. from? Um, and so, like, it's just a matter of, like, what you believe. And it's it's our media, it's our politicians. Um, like, a lot of times we put so much faith, like, Trump's base puts a lot of faith in him. So they listen, like, he is credible to them, and so they're going to listen to anything he says, just like I'm probably going to listen to anything Kamala Harris says. So, like, 
we need people to hold their politicians accountable and not trust them as, like, the news. They have an agenda, and we just have to remember that. And at the same time, I think we need a media that will honestly analyze what our president is doing. We can't have, no matter what Trump does, it's the biggest crime of the year, and it's the biggest scandal, and everything is just apocalyptic. Because at that point, no one's going to listen to it. It just becomes white noise. Because if Trump is putting in some policies that are actually kind of middle of the line and aren't radical at all, and the media goes on and says, this is the worst policy uh, we have ever seen, and it's going to, you know everyone's going to be on the streets, like, starving and dying. They're losing their own credibility from that. No, I, I totally agree. And so, like, kind of getting back to, like, talking about one year of Trump, um, like, I, I think it's been an interesting year. Do you, I mean, do you look at America more polarized now than they were a year ago? Uh, more polarized? Um, maybe? I, I don't know if there, I don't know if there's been a radical... Uh, shift in yeah. either direction. I think it's about as polarized as it was at the beginning of his presidency because at that point, the hyper-partisanship camps have sort of established from the election and those carried over into the presidency. Uh, I think the media has been very consistent about what it's been doing in attacking Trump from before his presidency and now during his presidency. Uh, I think what's going to mark the shift in either... Uh, a move away from hyperpartisanship or a move m- even more towards it will be when uh, campaigning starts for the next yeah. uh, for the next election. But I think we're gonna have to see about that. Um, but I I'm pretty optimistic about yeah. how, about where things will end up going. Uh, this is a total side note, but I, I did you see that Trey Gowdy isn't running? Yeah, for the I did see that. Wow, the face of like Hillary Clinton investigations gone. I love those videos of Trey he Gowdy. Just, yeah, oh yeah, he just. He's he a tears it apart. He's a very good speaker. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't have much to say about it other than like that's a little it's a little sad to yeah. me. Have you read at all about these the uh, the Nunez memo? It's this memo that this guy put together. I know nothing about uh, Nunez. I, I don't even know if that's how you say his name, but he has this memo that he wouldn't let literally anyone see. Um, like. It has confidential information, and so he was very specific about who could see it. Um, Burr on the Senate Intelligence Committee got to see it, but Mark Warner didn't. And then uh, the House Intelligence Committee didn't get to see it. And, like, Trump got to see it. And he gave it to Hannity, but he won't let any of Hannity's staff see it. And now the Republican Party just voted, or the Republicans in the Intelligence Committee just, like, voted to declassify it. And, like... Mark Warner got to see it, and he's like, this is a threat to our democracy if you put out this memo. And it has... What's the memo? I have no idea. So it's just, like, this memo that people know is being passed around it's and no one knows Russia what's in It's about the investigation. But it has something to do with, like, where the information's coming from. I have no idea, but it, apparently, like, Democrats and moderate conservatives are painting this as, this is all bullshit that's just gonna scare people. And, like, 
the fact that it's just the way Nunez went about it, like saying That's no, nobody gets to see it except for Sean Hannity and uh, I think his name's Richard Burr, and it's just the weirdest thing ever. But I, I don't I, know. That'll be interesting to see how that story develops. I don't even know what to say about that other yeah. than, wow, that's kind of weird. <laughs> it's very weird. I was listening to them talk about it on the news, and I was... It's just weird. I don't know. But, um, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to three more years of this. Oh, so you're now you're now admitting that it's going to be three more years. You're no, no longer on no, the... No, I take that back. 2019, <laughs> we are getting subpoena power in the house, especially now that Trey Gowdy's gone and you bitches are going down. <laughs> I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. You know what, Lucas? Go wonk yourself. Eddie, go wonk yourself. (laughs) All right, thank you guys.